coming from music that was somehow logic to understand it a little bit and also starting to learn, you know, then we would have concerts and then you have this PA, you have the sound technician and you have to explain to the sound technician what type of sound you want and to find and then understand, oh, okay, there's a specific set of terms and if you don't use these terms, the people won't understand you or at least they won't be so eager to understand you. And there, that also sometimes these these types of uh, conflicts that could arise of that sometimes also provoked a little bit of stubbornness in me that I thought like, why do I have if I if I precisely can describe what I want, why do I have this have to use this other term that's like the the jargon term, if I actually really know what it is? So listen, if you listen to me, you'll understand me. And you know, there's of course the power of the stage, so I can also say like, hey, I'm the artist, I want to have that like this. I mean, this is this is just really learning by doing and also in the sense of to getting a routine in that yeah, and also to getting a routine and saying, this is how I described it. That might not be that how many other people described it, but this does not mean that this is wrong. And to find that self-esteem uh, and the courage, that's something that each of us has to, ve- to develop for, for themselves. But of course, it, it makes it easier and it makes a lot of sense to do it together also in that, to find good ways to be as precise in our language as possible in any field. Yeah? And it does not necessarily mean to use the jargon, but it means to, to, to find out what it is that I really want to express. And I find this is the precision is something that I find is really also joyful because then I really, then I can kind of grasp what I actually really do. So I really had this kind of advantage that I was just there when this was all kind of one happened after the other. Because now if you live now, it's all here. Yeah. You have to find a way how to find out what it is what is actually really interesting. And at that at that time it was really more I mean, you know, we did flyers where we really did flyers like with uh, copying on, on these old machines. You know, so I, I know all these production um phases you go through when you really physically like um, manually uh, put the flyer together. Yeah. So uh, the good thing for me was that there's the sound, the, like there's music and sound experiments. There's the, a little bit of technology around that. Then the radio comes to that, and then slowly computer comes to that. It's already there, you know, Atari and all these types that I, I personally never used. Uh, but they're already here and then there's people interested in radio who maybe then one has a synthesizer and the other one has this machine and the other one has this machine. And at that time, it's also very normal that you would share, not necessarily the using the, of the machine all the time, but to to explain how that thing actually really works. And um, because in these anarchist circles, there was at least an understanding of... Uh, of um, of the difficulty of these different generals that we're in, that at least I was not confronted with that, are you a girl, you don't know how that works, a lot. I wouldn't say I was never confronted with that at the time, but there was always a balance. There were some machos, machistas around, but there was always also other guys around who simply didn't care. Yeah? And I would, of course, go with those who didn't care. <laughs> I think at that time... I, I was not aware at all that there was something like pirate radio in Austria before. I had been uh, in contact in Holland, but otherwise I'd, I'd never connected uh, radio piracy with Austria. 
I never thought of it. And the one thing was that I never thought that during the during the Nazi time anybody would have had the courage to do that because it was it was anyhow and any type of of resistance against the Nazis was so harshly um, put down and, and with such a lot of violence and so so huge violence also for all the surrounding people that it was so so dangerous. And it was also clear if somebody would hear that you were listening to something else but the uh, Nazi propaganda. That would be very uh, endangering. So, if it, for me, it felt really like something I didn't, I didn't think that it could exist. And because the, let's say, the officially uh, accessible history about resistance against the Nazis in the, at, up until the 1980s was so little. There was nearly no books. There was nearly no, um, you know. Now we have a, we have a, a lot. I mean, at least more material about that there was a period when many of these people who who were either in resistance or who were in concentration camps would go to schools and you could have um, conversations with with witnesses of that time that has become much better since the big, let's say the mid 1980s or so but up to until then there was not much known yeah there's a kind of a bizarre um, or strong non-talking period after the Second World War. Um, and I think that also that, that everything that has to do with um, resistance against uh, this type of politics also before already, uh, because that is so unknown, there's not the, there's no strong resistive self-knowledge in, in this what we could call Austrian identity, although it's really hard, I don't really know what it is, but somehow, you know, that's what, what forms the state. There's nearly no reference to to that what political uprising would be, or you know, like for example, with 1918, the second, uh, uh, the first world war stops, and in Austria, the way how it is be mostly being presented and also in schools talked about is that it's the end of the empire, it's the end of the Hungarian Austrian Empire. It's not the they don't talk about it as the beginning of the first republic, and not the not the praising of wow for the first time we had we had the parliament. Yeah, we had to really with the, for the first time we the, in this country there's elections. You know that that's not the the thing, but it's oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, the empires collapsed. So I find that it's really interesting. And the same goes with uh, there was a, a short uprising in 1934 against uh, what then would become Austrofascism. Um, that's also not really talked about. If you're not really interested in history, you will not know about this. And the same goes with the resistance against the Nazis. So it was for me unthinkable that there could be uh, people who dared to make radio, but there were. And then the other period was the 1970s, and that's still a period where I, where I, in my own biography, I was just too young. Yeah, I'm born in 1966, so I, I was too young to know about that at the time because it was also it was not many people. And it also meant if you were not interested in that type of, of history, again, you wouldn't know about it. You had really, you really had to dig uh, deep to find that out. So there was not there was not a strong um, philosophical uh, con uh, connection to any other existing radius. It was rather this this feeling of how can that actually be? If you look into the world and you see what is going on in all these other countries, and you know, Italy has like hundreds of radio stations. And Aust uh, our channels and Austria has three. This is bizarre. This slammed antenna is a representation of the of uh, of the relation between a good friend of mine and me. So she's a she's a writer. Her name is Margaret Kreidel, and she invited a lot of people to join her for a project. And she just said, um, 
she, she needs an object. She gives us a certain size for this object and it's going to be displayed in a, in a library in Vienna where they still have this, um, you know, the old the old way how to how, the old way how to look for books, which was on these little papers. And there's this this cupboard where you had all like each letter had their own box usually. So you would take that out and then you would look for the right book. Or you would look for the book. And these are empty now, of course, because everything is digital. And uh, the people who run that who run that uh, library, they invited her to to make a to make a work there. And I think they imagined that she was going to put like one poem in each of the of the drawers. But she invited did sixty drawers, and she invited fifty nine people, artists, uh, friends of hers, to give her something that could rest there for a year, and then it would become it would become hers. And I thought, what, what, what is it that I, that in a way, because it was clear that it is about the relation between us, yeah, our friendship, our uh, working together, whatever. And I was really thinking hard, like, what could it be? And in that time, I had stumbled across the slime mold, and then I thought, huh, actually, I could just have the slime mold um, visualize, represent, whatever, the the complexity of our relation to each other. And this is what I what I did, you know. So. That's how these things come together. And then the next thing is, so one part is the idea of, a, of an object, like this, like the big, the, the big antenna, the resonating sculpture. This four, four, I think it's four and a half by five meters of this very light cloth, which is kind of semi-transparent. And on that semi-transparent um, cloth, I... I've, I've fixed copper lines, and the way how I fixed it, the structure is it represents the lines of my left hand. So that's why I say this: is, I'm the only person who can do that because only I have these lines. And so the first thing was that this there suddenly there's this merging together of a lot of different things, and that it's sometimes also hard to describe. I also don't know how that. I can only say then there's the moment when it's there. But I don't know what, what actually happens in me until all these things come together. But it is a sort of a, a chain of associations. And it, I, I try to be as, um, how can I say, as loose in my head as possible so that I don't exclude anything out. And then, then by that, that, some things get some twists and then, and then an object can appear. And the thing was that I knew already from all these experiments that I had made with like using this normal, like normal in the sense of regular antenna in, in performance settings, I knew which types of sounds to expect when there was no clear signal to be uh, perceived. And the thing is that, of course, that type of antenna that I use is meant to be used outside. So you need to direct, let's say, in a way, actually really visual, um, direct, un, un uninterrupted connection to the object that they're listening to. So when the satellite flies by, I, ca I have to be really in, let's say, in an open field or something. If there is a tree in between with just one leaf in the, in the line of sight, I don't get the signal anymore. So that's also how, how weak or how fragile that actually is. So I know that, and that means also that when I'm inside of a building, most of what I'm going to hear is probably... Uh, the sound that the cable produces, like the the, the part from the from the, the USB based receiver to the antenna itself, then the antenna itself has a little bit of of noise that that it produces, 
and then maybe some reflections in the space itself. So it's probably not going to be a signal that comes from outside somewhere, like from space. But then there's also all these other types of radiations that go through buildings. And we don't know how many of these of these waves actually really interact in the sense of which types of interferences we really have. I don't have this precision um, measurement equipment to really precisely know what is happening where, but I've learned to work with different types of frequency ranges in the sense of it, it somehow it has become an instrument because I know more or less how this is going to sound. And for me, the sound check done in the space is really to try to find out, is this also the case in that uh, inside of that building, because it can be different. And for example, in Radio Revolten, what happened, and this is, these are moments which gets really kind of, not, not really spooky, but in the, in the sense of it's, tot it's actually totally uncontrollable because I never know what's going to happen, that suddenly the signal got really boosted and it got really loud. Yeah? And it goes so fast that you have no, I mean, you have to have a limiter for the very, very loud things, of course, but these... Um, this shift you can't control, it's just there. And then I also, I don't know what it is. It could have been that something got switched on or maybe switched off, yeah? That one really strong signal came in, I don't know. But that's just with what I have to work. And so it's more like a, I, 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 I spend time with, with these general setups and then it's also depending on the software that you use that's also going to facilitate things. I think that maybe even, maybe, I don't know, Maybe it would even work if I only connected the USB device without any antenna at all. And probably, probably inside, the change wouldn't be so strong. I just think that these, these like these interferences that can happen as this, as this shift in the intensity. I think that only happens if you, if you actually really have an antenna, even if it's not, uh, not the good one in the technical sense. Before I found that out with the with the slime mold. Um, I came across, and you know, this is this is my way of pro my way of procrastinating. Procrastinating is sometimes to just like um, watch anything on mostly YouTube, but it could also be Vimeo or you know. I'm I'm just I I know that I need to do something. I can't focus on that, and then I rather just spend time. With, then I just detour, yeah. And then I rather spend time with something that I'm actually interested in, because then at least at least I don't. I don't, you know, I have these days where I feel like, oh, I should do this and I don't do this and then I do it a little bit or I do other, and then the whole day is gone and I feel really grumpy and a little depressed and, and I've decided that this is a really stupid thing to do. So I'd rather spend the time with something I'm at least interested in, even if it's something totally different from what I should do. And in one of my, one of these tours, I came across uh, plants that have the capability of storing metal or poisonous material in their leaves and it doesn't disturb them and some of them are so good in that that they're called hyper accumulators and some of them are really like uh, for example they can they can store nickel or they can store copper they can store uh, um, lead which is really poisonous and this i mean it's amazing and they, what they do is what what has been found out now is that they put it on the for example, the lead and the nickel they put on the upper side of their leaves, which they don't need because the there where they breathe is on the downside or the bottom side. So it's not lethal. It's, it doesn't disturb them, but they are really not. It's kind of their self-defense system because uh, insects don't want to eat that at all. It's because it is poisonous. And also when the leaves fall down, the whole ground is going to get more 
lead loaded or more nickel loaded so it becomes even more poisonous for other plants so they're kind of they're just making their way there and uh, there's some plants that are so good in that that it's actually there's some research done now to use that as on the one hand as really as a cleansing and healing uh, possibility for certain areas that are poisonous yeah where nobody should live and where you definitely cannot grow any vegetables or any food and on the other hand, also kind of re a way of recycling uh, material because it, these um, there's no mechanical or chemical way how to get these types of metal out of the ground because it's in in the way the concentration is so low that it only makes sense with actually it only makes sense with plants and also the plants they're not only I mean they're not poisonous at all yeah so it's it's a very let's say a very um, a holistic approach actually to getting that out and there's also i mean sunflowers for example can can do that with nickel or, or lead i'm not sure and gold so you can actually you can dig gold with sunflowers <laughs> that's also something that i found really interesting and i thought like wow how amazing because we know that um in general everywhere where there's been mining yeah, like the last few hundred years there is a lot of poisonous material quite on the surface and um, that's something that has to be taken care of and in Austria luckily there is a there's actually even a department at the at the state level they do that it's very slow and um, it's uh, it, it's as a, I mean I think there could be a bit better methods but at least there's there is an uh, part of the institution that actually takes care of that. And a lot of the knowledge is also online available. So it's also they, they don't make secrets out of it, which I also find really cool. Um, but it's clear the, what they actually do, and that's a little bit frustrating, I find, or uh, short-sighted, is they, when they find out that a certain area is contaminated, let's say, with lead. Uh, they are going to take that away and they're going to put that, so they remove the earth there and then they're going to move it somewhere else and they're going to uh, store it there. And now it's known this is like a, a special uh, waste um, waste land in the sense of, but they already know that this is poisonous. So they, they, let's say, for example, move it away from where people live, which makes a lot of sense. But they don't do anything else with it. So it, it, they just move it from A to B and the problem is not solved. And then I thought, like, but how bizarre. I mean, if there's methods and, and uh, knowledge around what else we could do, then at least plant those plants there. I mean, that's really not the most expensive thing to do. Yeah? And then I thought, okay, maybe I know about that, but uh, not so many other people know about that. And then I decided to use that as a as a, a part of a, of a work I did in public space here in the city in one of the really, really big roads. And what I did is that I, what I wanted to do, and yet they didn't let me, but only in a in a, a modified way. I wanted actually it's a very long street, and I thought, okay, if I look at the at these plants, and some of them are like, like nice, nice little flowers, yeah, and then I have flowers that blossom in yellow or in violet or in white, and I thought, ah, maybe I should just go and ask people when they live in like let's say they live in a building, or they work in that building which of the plants they want to have there. So either they can choose by um, by the stuff that the plant is capable of taking out the, the, the ground, or they can go by, via aesthetics and say they want to have it colorful, so as many different as possible, or maybe just one color, everything in yellow, whatever people really like. And I wanted to use this symbol of, of something so simple as a flower. 
You know, it's not, uh, we're not digging in the ground. We're not building whatever. It's, it's really very, it's very small. And the, the, the intervention is really gentle. It's, I had uh, the hope that this is something that we can do. But obviously, this is a very representative street that we chose for this whole project. Where a lot of other things also happened. This is just fine. There was many, many other things going on. Um, the mayor of the city finds that this is a too representative um, street to have this type of, and we have a word, it's in German, actually in Austrian, the word is Gstetten, and that refers to a sort of wasteland, you know, when nobody takes care of a little part of ground and whatever grows there, grows there. And he, he found that this is not possible to do that because it, it's not beautiful. At the end, they let me do it in the, in the, in the parallel street. But only in, in, in a few parts. And it was really when I saw what they let me do. First I thought that. That can't, can't be possible. And at the same time I found it really interesting. Because one thing was. It's the same type of street. Actually there's also a lot of traffic. That I didn't know about. Because it's less visible. So the, the one. The big one is the one. Where you, when, you, when you enter from the south. Uh, when you come via. Uh, with the car via the highway. And you come from the south and you enter the city, you will go through that street. So it's really, it's wide and there's a lot of representative buildings are along that street. The, the courthouse is there, the financial um, department is there, the part of the jail is there. So there's a lot of, like, the, the biggest newspaper is there, you know, so all these type of, let's say, um, important, uh, important institution for a city are there. So they let me do it in the, in the next side and only on the stripes that really actually belong to the city. And first when I thought it, uh, when I saw it, I thought that this is really an insult. But then I also thought, okay, this is what they give me. So I will, I need to work with what I get. Yeah. Always to, I really always want to work with what I have, what is there. Yeah. Not to, not to implement anything else. And then what they did is because my, my general idea, my, my principal idea had been to really do that and then analyze the ground and then also analyze the plants and see how, how strongly they can actually, how well they can really do that there. And we even paid a little bit of rent to do that. And then they cut all the plants down because, you know, they have these, in Austria, everything is organized or hyper-organized. Um, and so they have these mowing circles. So they are going to, they are going to clean that street on that day. They are going to cut the grass on that street on that day. And they just removed it all. Yeah, but it was still an interesting, interesting experience. <laughs>